Good day, everyone. This is Pastor Nick Davies from Memorial Heights Baptist Church. Thank you so much for joining us as we open up and listen to God's Word together. Today's message is being an example in purity and was given by Pastor DJ Ritchie during our Sunday morning worship service on July 26, 2020. If you have not yet subscribed to our podcast, please do. And when you do, you will receive a notification each time we post a new message and will always be up to date. We hope this encourages you in your relationship with Christ, and if it does, we would love to connect with you in person sometime. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get into it. What was... I'm a little tongue-tied this morning. What would you say is the most dangerous thing that you own? For some of you, you may be thinking of a gun, a weapon at home. Maybe you have for hunting. Maybe you have for home defense. For some of you, you may be thinking about an automobile, especially the way your spouse drives. You think that's the most dangerous thing you own. But I'm not talking today about physically dangerous. I'm talking about something that many of us have that is incredibly dangerous. Mentally dangerous, emotionally dangerous, and spiritually dangerous. I just bought a new one. It's a phone. Now you can actually call me and leave me a message. It's great. You can, my, my voicemail actually works now. My phone will actually ring. So I am actually accessible. I, I still have my old Kentucky number. I'm going to be changing that uh, probably here in August. Um, but uh, if you see a 606 number show up on your caller ID, that's, not, that's probably not Kentucky. That's probably Pastor DJ calling you, at least, at least for the next few weeks, until I get that changed. But on my phone, I have access to something called the World Wide Web. I have it on my phone. I have it on my computer, of course, at home. And the Internet is incredibly incredibly dangerous. Now, let me clarify that dangerous does not equal sinful automatically. Electricity is dangerous. I'm not suggesting any of you become Amish and do away with your electricity. Uh, But I do uh, know a man, knew a man, well I know him, he's in eternity. Uh, At my, one of my former churches, uh, Excellent electrician, very skilled, done it, did it for many years. But maybe because of his familiarity, maybe because he had gotten so comfortable with what he had worked with so long, he was doing a job by himself, and just one moment of carelessness, and it cost him his life. Electricity is useful, it's helpful, it's wonderful but it's incredibly dangerous. And if you don't take it seriously, if you don't take the danger seriously, it can have fatal consequences. Fire is incredibly useful. It can warm your home, especially in the wintertime. It can cook your food. It can give you light. Incredibly dangerous. Inside the fireplace, warm your home. The moment it jumps out of that protection, can cause great damage. 
The internet is the same. It's the same as electricity. It's the same as fire. It is incredibly dangerous. But the difference is that many Christians do not take the danger seriously. We need the internet, many of us, for our jobs. It's become ingrained, increasingly ingrained into the way that we communicate. Like I said, it's, it's embedded in my phone. But if we don't take it seriously, we will reap the consequences of its dangers. There are many, many things, not only lies, deception, inordinate amounts of distraction, but we're going to talk specifically this morning about purity. Many, many Christians have become enslaved to sexual impurity through things like pornography or relationships with old flames on social media that have led to devastated marriages, destroyed testimonies, sometimes even loss of employment, especially for those in ministry. Purity matters to God. And we, it needs to matter to us. Hebrews chapter, four, uh, chapter 13, verse 4 says this. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. Every one of us has a responsibility to stand for and to guard the protection and the sanctity and the holiness of marriage. Whether you're married or not, whether you're, you ever will be married, every one of us has a responsibility, God says, to hold the sanctity of marriage and the purity of the marriage bed, whether it's something that you will ever experience or not. It is the responsibility of the church to stand for marriage. So the question is, how are we doing? How are we doing as a church in America? I'm going to read to you um, some statistics here this morning. We're not going to dwell on them because we're not going to dwell on discouragement. But these statistics come from something called the Conquer Series, conquerseries.com. Uh, 15 mind-blowing statistics about pornography and the church. And uh, that link will be in your notes uh, that will be um, available after the message if you want to go online and check that out. If some of you are already watching online. If you want to check this out, conquerseries.com. Uh, 15 mind-blowing statistics about pornography and the church. Let's just look at the data and see what the data says about where we are in the church. This is something that we don't talk a lot about. And the consequences of our silence are all around us. Number one, over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. The average visit lasts six minutes and 29 seconds. Number two, there are around 42 million porn websites, which totals around 370 million pages of porn. Number three, the porn industry's annual revenue. And by the way, this is despite the fact that you can get a ton of porn for free, you don't even have to pay to get porn 
but the porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and MLB combined. It's also more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. If you took all their revenue and combined it, the porn industry makes more. Number, number four, 40% of families in the United States report that pornography is a problem in their home. One in two. Number five, pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. So if one of the spouses, and it, as we'll see in a moment, it's not just the men anymore, if one of, this, uh, one of the people in the marriage it gets into pornography, the likelihood that they're going to have an affair or cheat it goes up 300%. Number six, 11 is the average age. <laughs> Eleven is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn. You cannot wait to have this conversation. You cannot wait, parents. You cannot wait, granddads, to have this conversation with your grandson. You can't wait anymore. Eleven is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn. Ninety-four percent of children will see porn by the age of 14. This is a real crisis that we need to stop ignoring and start dealing with. Number seven, 50% of American divorces involve one party's having a, a quote, an obsessive interest, unquote, in pornographic websites. Number eight, 70% of Christian youth pastors report that they have had at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with pornography in the past 12 months. This is despite the fact that many kids are very uh, embarrassed and private about that and, and, and won't go to anybody for help. Yet, 70% of pastors have had at least somebody come to them within the last year, one of their, one of their kids. Number nine, 68% of church-going men, over 50% of pastors, view porn on a regular basis. If you want to know why the churches today aren't preaching about sin and aren't preaching about hell, if you want to know why the, the, the pulpits are largely powerless in America today, it's because half of the pastors are engaged in pornography on a regular basis. Young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search for porn. Number 10, 59% of pastors said that married men seek their help for porn use. Number 11, 33% of women aged 25 and under search for porn at least once per month. One in every three. This is not just a guy problem anymore. Number 12, only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they never watch porn or have never seen it. 87% of Christian women. Now, of course, this is those who profess. It's not saying that all of these women are actually saved, but those who profess faith in Jesus. 87% uh, of Christian women have watched porn. Listen, this is not, about this is not a message of condemnation for what's in your past. We've we're, we're, we're got to deal with the reality, Okay. Right now, we're just setting up, this is the reality. Let's, you can't fix a problem if you don't know what it is, okay? But this is not about judgment. This is not about shame. This is about freedom. But we have to realize the need, how desperately the need for freedom is and how pervasive the need for freedom is. Number 13, 55% of married men, 25% of married women say that they watch porn at least once a month. That's one in four married women. And you say, well, those are just statistics. Listen, the last time I worked a job where most of my coworkers were unsaved, uh, I'm, I mean, I, the, the girls would text each other pornographic memes. 
and, and joke about it and laugh about it. So I've seen, I've seen this re- as a reality. Th- these aren't just statistics to me. Uh, number 14, 57%, 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. 69% say porn has adversely impacted the church. Only Number 15, only 7% of pastors say their church has a program to help people struggling with pornography. So everybody says this is a crisis. Everybody knows this is a crisis, but we don't want to deal with it, so very few churches are actually dealing with it. So what we're going to do, Lord willing, this fall sometime, and I I know we're navigating all of these restrictions and whatnot, but we're we're going to do the Conquer series here for our guys. Uh, Probably on a Saturday morning right now, I'm thinking this could change with with everything that's going on, but probably I'm, th- I'm thinking right now 8 to 9.30 uh, every Saturday morning. It's a 10-week program that we go through together. I went through this at my last church about four years ago. Tremendous program. My dad's church has used this multiple times. Tremendous program. This is not just for those who, though, are really struggling. This is for dads of young men, soon-to-be young men. This is for granddads of soon-to-be young men. This is for guys who have gotten victory to help other guys get victory. This is for men in the church who are concerned about the health of the church. This is not just for, quote-unquote, addicts. This is for all of us as guys to come together because, as we have seen in the statistics, the church is failing to honor marriage. Hebrews 13.4, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. We have to deal with this problem. So it starts with how we handle the Word of God. So this morning we're going to finish our study from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, be an example. And we have seen 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, that we are commanded not to let anyone despise our youth, but to be thou an example in speech, in conversation, in charity, which is love, in spirit, which deals with spiritual gifts, in faith, and today in purity. So very quickly as we wrap this series up, I must start with my mouth. I'm going to set an example. I, I have to, my life should be a pattern of a believer. My life is a pattern of something. My life is a pattern of, for, for, for someone of something. But it should be a pattern of how a Christian should live. The pattern of my life, my usual week, My usual day, yes, we all stumble, yes, we all fall, but what is the pattern of my life? It starts with my mouth, but I also have to practice what I preach. It it, it deals with how I love others. I have to love sacrificially. I have to love sincerely. It it continues with the use of my spiritual gifts. If I'm really loving others, I need to be serving them with the gift that God has given to me. And uh, we have spent three weeks talking about faith. I must live out my Christian life with a Christ-centered, promise-driven, living faith. But understand that all that we have seen over the last five weeks together is not going to be effective, is not going to have a lasting impact unless I am consistent in the area of purity. I cannot be an effective example in any of these areas if I'm not consistent in purity. Again, I don't know what's in your past. This is not about being chained to your past. This is, this is about being free today. This is about being free tomorrow. This is about being free forward, going forward, 
setting a new example for some of us, continuing to reinforce the example that we've been setting for others of us in the area specifically of purity. This was uh, so important to Paul. Paul talked about uh, sexuality and sexual sin so frequently. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul talks about the need to be consistent. And he says, I keep my body, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul said, I don't want to do anything in my life. I have to discipline myself so that there's no area in my life that becomes such an inconsistency that I cannot uh, any longer plant churches and I cannot any longer serve as an apostle. I cannot any longer be effective in pastoral ministry. Paul was so, so focused on that. Not losing his effectiveness, but it takes discipline. It takes commitment. So here's why it matters. Let's talk for a few minutes about why purity matters so much. I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at a number of different passages this morning. First Corinthians chapter 6 was one of the first passages that came to mind. Let me just read these verses to you while I'm going to pick it up in verse 12 while you're, some of you are still turning there. Verse 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful to me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Don't let your freedom to say, well, I can do this, but is it helpful? Is it beneficial? Is it, is it going to lead you into something that isn't lawful? Meat for the belly, belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and, it and them. And then in verse 13, he shifts his focus and he says, now the body is not for fornication. That word fornication there, pornea, pornea in the Greek from which we get our English word porn. Uh, not just... Uh, the physical act. It's not just the physical act that is a sin. It is the mental act as well, the mentally engaging in uh, pornea that is sinful as well. The body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Flee pornea. Every sin that a man doth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Not all sins are the same. Not all sins are the same. Not all sins are the same. Now, all sins are sins. And if this is not my area of struggle, I can't judge somebody else who has this as their area of struggle and say, well, I'm so much a better Christian and just ignore the, the major area of sin in my own life. All sins are sins, but not all sins are the same. Not all sins have the same consequence. Not all sins have the same ramifications. This is a sin, Paul says, that, it, that actually is against your own body. This is different than other kinds of sins that we can commit. We have to take this seriously. Verse 19, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Don't you know that your body, it's not your body your choice? It's not your body your choice. Your body doesn't belong to you. Your body is designed to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're a child of God, the temple, the temple is filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're not a child of God yet, your temple is empty. 
but it's still designed to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't belong to you. You didn't make it. Your mom and dad didn't make it. God made it. God made the body. God was knitting you together in the womb. You're bought with a price. And that price was Jesus Christ's own life, his own shed blood for you. So, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This matters. So let me give you four quick reasons why purity is so important. My body belongs to God. He's going to hold me accountable for how I use my body because it belongs to him. It doesn't belong to me. It's his body. I get to borrow this body, hopefully for a long time. But I got another one that's coming that's going to be a lot better than this one, right? This is just my ride until I get there. But it's not, it doesn't belong to me. It's, it's a rental. So you gotta, you're, you're accountable for, for how you live in purity or choose to ignore purity. So understand, number one, purity impacts my personal walk with the Lord. Purity, my purity impacts my personal walk with God. I'm going to give an account. 2 Timothy 2, the first passage of Scripture I ever shared with you back in January. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We, we talked about the fact that we are going to stand before Jesus Christ and we need to be ready. We need, we're studying. We're in God's word so that we can live it out because we're going to stand before him and give an account for how we lived our life. And purity is included in that. Galatians 5 talks about the fact that if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And he talks about different sins. And some of those sins that he lists in, in Galatians chapter 5 are sexual sins. He says, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill them. But if you're fulfilling them, you're not, you're not walking in the Spirit. You're not going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. Ephesians 5, uh, Paul lists a number of different sexual sins at the beginning of the chapter. It goes into uh, a variety of sins. Some of them are, are sexual talk. Uh, some of them are, are more physical in nature. But, he's, but he says we need to have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness. We need to expose those darkness. We need to speak out against that kind of sin. It is important what we say about sexual sin. It's not something that we should ignore or downplay. We, we need to take a stand, but we also need to offer grace. We also need to re remember that we're offering forgiveness and freedom. It's not, about, it's not about shaming people. It's about the hope of freedom that you can have in Christ. It impacts your walk with the Lord. Jesus said, um, you may not have actually committed the act of adultery, Matthew chapter 5, you've heard it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, Jesus said, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. You have the heart of an adulterer. Even if you haven't acted on that, it affects your, your walk with the Lord. It impacts your walk with the Lord. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32, Whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. Now Solomon is not saying you can't be forgiven of this. This is about one sin you can't be forgiven of. That's not, he's not saying that. But what he is saying is that you will carry the scar of this sin. Amen. Now, praise God for the scars, because that means that God has brought healing. 
But I've still got scars on my body. I've got a scar on my hand here. That every time I see it, I remember the stupid thing I did that caused me to cut my hand. Almost, almost caught the tendon. I was, praise God, I, it was God's grace that I didn't. I have scars on my body that remind me of, this, of the foolish things I do. Adultery is a scar that you carry. God brings healing. But there's a scar, and you can't wipe that scar away. It matters. It impacts your personal walk with the Lord. Uh, it impacts, number two, it impacts your marriage and family. It impacts your marriage and your family. Malachi chapter 2, we looked at briefly last week. We don't often get a chance to go to Malachi, so let me read to you some verses from Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. And this ye have done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering anymore or receiveth it with good will at your hand. He's saying, look, you're coming to worship, and you're coming with tears, and you're coming with great emotion. And you're trying to get God to hear from you, and God has stopped listening. Whoa. You say, verse 14, wherefore? <laughs> what do you mean God's not listening? I'm, I'm crying, I'm emotional, I'm invested here. Answer. Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife, of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. It did not he make one, yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. So we have seen in three different scriptures, when you sin sexually, you sin against your body, you sin against your soul, and here... Malachi, God says through the prophet Malachi, you sin against your spirit as well. The whole person is affected. All of you is affected by this kind of sin. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he, hath, that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. Again, there is forgiveness. There is power in the blood of Jesus. Praise God. There is power in forgiveness. But some of you are teetering. I don't know if it's somebody here. I don't know if it's somebody watching online. You've been playing around with things in your head, and you, I haven't acted on it. God is watching, and God's not looking at your tears. God's looking at your heart, and he's saying, is it pure? Are you pure in your heart? Have you cleansed your hands of the things you've done? And if you haven't acted on anything yet, have you purified your hearts? Or are you holding on to these sins? Number three. Purity impacts my usefulness in the church. It affects, it affects my ability to be used in the church. Uh, Paul talked about blamelessness for the pastor in Timothy and in Titus. The pastor must be blameless. There must not be any area of significance where someone can point to and say, you are not setting the right example. And this is one of the areas of blamelessness. We have to be pure. We have to be pure. And why is the pastor to set that example? So that you will have that example. Amen. It's not just so the pastor can be some kind of uh, super Christian and then everybody else can live however they want. We're, we're called to be examples. Pastor Nick, myself, we're called to be examples because your eyes are on us and God wants us to be a model so that you can imitate, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But your usefulness in the church will be uh, 
directly impacted by your purity. Paul goes into great deal. We're not going to take time this morning to go to Titus chapter 2, but Paul talks about um, the importance of ministry, people being involved in ministry, older women, older men, younger women, younger men. And this idea of purity is very, very important and critical as it relates to how we're able to serve one another. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 2, Paul tells Timothy that he needs to be pure. He uses the same word that he uses in chapter 4 a few verses later in chapter 5, verse 2. And he says, Timothy, you're a single dude. You're a single guy. You need to be very, very careful that you stay pure in how you deal with the young single ladies in your church. You need to stay pure. You need to have integrity. Because if you don't, all that you have worked for, you'll disqualify yourself. You won't be blameless. So you need to pray for your pastors. You need to pray for your leaders. You need to pray for yourself. Pray for your family. Purity impacts your usefulness in the church. And then lastly, purity impacts your witness in the world. Purity impacts your, your witness in the world. First Peter chapter 2, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, your mind. The battleground is your mind. Having your conversation, he says, honest, your lifestyle. Having your lifestyle honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, that they may by your good works, which they have behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Verse 5, for so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Chapter 3, verse 16, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. What do I do when I hear politicians berating the church and berating Christians and talking negatively about Christians? What do I do when I hear uh, celebrities mocking Christianity? Do I get shocked? Do I get outraged? Peter says, be pure. Be a good example. Live in such a way that their accusations ring hollow, that their accusations are patently false and provably and demonstrably false so that they will be convicted by the very accusations they hurl at you. Purity matters. It matters to God. It needs to matter to us. So how do we get pure? What do we do to live a pure and holy life? Well, Paul answers that for us and for Timothy in 2 Timothy. And I want you to go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 for a moment. And the rest of the time that we have together here, we're really going to be unpacking this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, this, this verse. Now, let me give you some context. So let's back up in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and pick it up at the verse I mentioned earlier, the verse that we started this journey together with way back in January. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Shun profane and vain babblings. They will increase unto more ungodliness. Their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stand is sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house... There are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor, some to dishonor. 
If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Now let me stop there for a second, because I think this, some people get kind of confused in the analogy that Paul is saying here. This is the great house, not just Memorial Heights, but the church. The church of Jesus Christ is the great house. And within the great house, some of us are really serving God, and some of us are not. Some of you are content to be the bedpan in the house of God, the vessel for dishonor. Some of you would much rather be the mirror, <laughs> or you would much rather be the easy chair, the so something useful that we are proud to have, not something that we hide under the bed. Paul says, what you want to be, Timothy? You want to be a vessel of honor? You want to be the thing that gets sat on the mantle that every time somebody comes in, God's like, like Job, have you considered my servant Job? Or you want to be the vessel of dishonor? Well, are you going to depart from iniquity? That's the question. So here's how you do that, Timothy, verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So let me give you four things that you need to do. How do I live a pure life? Pastor, you don't know the chains that I carry with me. Listen, God knows the chains. God is the chain breaker. God has broken the chains. You don't need to wear the chains. Now, sometimes getting the chains off is going to hurt. Sometimes it's going to take a lot of work. There's going to be a lot of tears. There's going to be a lot that goes into it. It is not a quick fix. If you're, if you're struggling with pornography today, understand it is not a quick fix. Pornography can be as addictive as cocaine. This is not a quick fix. But the freedom is available. The freedom is there. The freedom can be yours. And you say, well, that's, that's not my struggle. You know, this isn't, I'm just not really comfortable. This Listen, we all need to do this together. We, Galatians chapter 6, we need to help the, the brother who's struggling or the sister who's struggling. And so if this isn't your struggle, you need to be willing to help those whose it is their struggle. And here's how you find freedom. Number one, you have to flee youthful lusts. You have to flee. You fight by fleeing. This is a strategic retreat. Don't fight the enemy on bad ground. Don't fight the enemy while they have the high ground. One of the things that we used to do uh, many times when I was young, I, I think I've, I've told you this already, we would go to Gettysburg. It was almost like my dad's pilgrimage every year to Gettysburg because my dad's a big Civil War buff. And, and it, when you're um, uh, a pastor and the church uh, at Cornerstone, when we started the church back in 1980, uh, originally dad wasn't even taking a salary. There wasn't a salary. I mean, it was just, uh, there were hardly any people. And so when you don't make a lot of money and you like the Civil War, it, Back then, you could do a lot of things at Gettysburg for free. So that's where we would go. We would go to Gettysburg. And I've stood on those battlefields many times. And when you think about, about the mistake that the Confederacy made. Now, I'm glad they made the mistake. I'm glad that the Union won the war, the Civil War. But when you think about the, the mistake that, that General Lee made in marching his troops in, op in an open field completely vulnerable 
and trying to overtake an entrenched, seasoned Union army. And the Confederacy, thank God, the Confederacy never recovered from that battle. Don't fight the enemy on the enemy's terms. Don't fight the enemy on the enemy's grounds. Retreat. Retreat. What did Joseph do in Genesis chapter 39? When Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce him, this was, he was not just an employee. He was a slave. He didn't, he didn't have the ability to just go get another job. But when it came down to it, when all he could do was literally physically run out of the house, right into prison for something he didn't even do, that's the choice he made. He fleed. He fled. You know, I have a friend who's a mechanic. He's a great mechanic. And he had an opportunity to take a job at a different garage. It was going to pay him a lot more money. And he turned it down. And I said, really? What did you turn it down for? He said, DJ, he said, where I work now, I can listen. I, I pretty much can do what I want. I can listen to praise and worship music all day while I'm working on cars. He said, I can, I can worship while I'm working. He said, at this particular garage, I, I went there for the interview, and I heard the language that was being used. I saw the calendars that were posted. He said, I don't need that kind of temptation. I don't need that kind of temptation. I'd rather take the lower pay and know that I'm walking with the Lord. That's fleeing temptation. Don't put yourself in a situation and think, well, I can, I can endure this. Right? If you, if, I mean, if, the, if there's a, somebody hitting on you that, I don't know, works at the gas station, start going to a different gas station. The person works at, 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 at Walmart that's hitting on you, go to a different teller. Do self-checkout. Okay? Try to avoid temptation as much as you can. Paul promises us in 1 Corinthians that there is no temptation but what is common to man, but God is faithful and he will always give you a way out. He will always make a way of escape. And so the prayer is, if I start to feel like I'm being tempted to do something wrong, the, the question is, where's the, where's the escape hatch? Where's the escape hatch? God will show it to you, but you need to be willing to flee. Number one, you've got to flee. Don't be proud. Don't attempt to endure sexual temptation. Don't flirt with it. Don't see how close you can get. Oh, it's just flirting. Oh, it's just Facebook. Flee temptation. Look for the escape hatch that God has provided for you. And listen, you need to make the commitment today and every day to actively avoid sexual temptation. Guys, I, I read a book that, that God used to really change my life back in was probably 2007 called Every Man's Battle. It's a great book. I would recommend that you get that book. If, you, if you're a guy, you haven't read that book. Maybe somewhere down the line we'll go through that book together. But one of the things that really impacted me in reading that book was something from the Bible. It was Job chapter 31, verse 1, where Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I act upon a maid? Job said, you know why I have purity in my life, guys? Because I made a commitment that I was not going to fantasize. I wasn't going to have wandering, lingering eyes. And one of the things that uh, I really loved out of the Every Man's Battle book was teaching us to, to bounce our eyes, to bounce the eyes. You say, what does that mean? It means if something comes into your view that is going to tempt you, you bounce those eyes away somewhere else. You bounce away. Sometimes you've got to go to the checkout line, and you're standing somewhere, and you've got to check out like this. Guys, you just got to keep your eyes away. Make a covenant with your eyes. You're not going to do that. That's somebody's daughter. 
Somebody, maybe somebody's wife. They may not be married yet. Somebody's daughter. Make the commitment every day to actively avoid sexual temptation. You know, one of the things that really helped me uh, get victory over sexual temptation was when I was a social worker and working with kids and dealing every day with the devastation of sexual abuse and dealing every day with the devastation of men and women who abused children, who weren't pure, seeing how it impacted those kids. And man, the, the lipstick came off of that pig real fast. And I started to see the consequence. Look, but look, you got to flee. You got to make the commitment. Make the covenant with your eyes. Number two, you have to follow God's desires. You flee, but you have to follow God's desires. You can't leave a vacuum. You're not going to get victory over sexual temptation or sexual sin by just saying, I'm not going to do that. you got to head somewhere. And so here's where you got to head. Four places. Righteousness, faith, charity, and peace. Now, how we define all of these is going to be contingent on God's word. Remember, we started back in verse 15. Rightly dividing the word of truth. So what I understand about righteousness... Faith, charity, and peace has to come from God's Word. God's Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Psalm uh, uh, 119, verse 9. How, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. So I have to be willing to be in God's Word and allow God's Word to cleanse me. David wrote in Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Listen, you've got to do the work because we know David... David failed. You've got you to keep grinding that word into your heart. Let that, let that word just become powderized and just sift into the heart. God's word will tell us what righteousness is. So what is righteousness? If, if you were with us a few Sunday nights ago, we talked about righteousness. We saw that the Greek word literally means judicial approval. It's a legal term. It means what God has declared righteous. So I have to pursue what God says is right regarding sexuality. I have to submit to God's eternal decrees regarding what is and isn't sin. And Isaiah, God speaks to the prophet Isaiah, and he warns, Woe to you who take what God has called sin and say, No, that's okay. That's okay. If you feel, if that's, if that's how, you know, that's how you were born. If you were born that way, that's okay. Woe to you who take what God says is sin and say, no, that's right. And then what God says is right, and you say, oh, no, no, that's, I don't need to worry about that. Proverbs uh, 17, 15 says, He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. So you have to be willing to pursue what God says about sexuality and what, it, what God says is right and wrong. Number two, faith. We've talked a lot about faith. Let me just remind you the testimony of Moses. Moses was willing to set aside the temporary pleasures of sin. Yes, sexual sin can be very temporarily pleasurable, but there is always a very, very high price to pay. So focus on trusting what God says, trusting God's promises. Trust that God's promises are eternally superior to any kind of temporary satisfaction that you're going to feel from uh, pursuing any kind of sexual sin. Number three, charity. Admit that sexual sin is always an act of selfishness. Never love. I, I would uh, direct you to First Thessalonians chapter 4, 
where Paul says, don't defraud your brother in this matter. This is not about mutual love. Anything outside of the marriage bed is sinful. It's wrong. Well, we're getting married. Well, you're not married. So wait until you're married. What the devil wants to do, what the devil wants to do, until you get married, he wants you in that bed. And as soon as you get married, he wants you out of that bed. And he will do everything he can to get you out of that bed and somebody, into somebody else's bed. So you need to follow God's desires. I'm going to love the way that God says is love. Love wins. Yeah, God's love wins, not worldly love. Peace, peace. The word peace means wholeness. You know why people engage in sexual sin? Because they feel broken. Friend, the healing is not in the sin. The sin will only break you more. It will only scar you more. Yes, it feels good. Yes, it feels like a release. Yes, it feels like you are, you are helping yourself. You are not. You are not. Like any addictive sin, it will only pull you farther and deeper and cost more than you ever imagined you would be willing to pay. Your wholeness can only be found in Jesus Christ. Let your whole spirit and mind and body, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, be sanctified and be holy. Holy at peace. That wholeness only comes from Jesus Christ. Let me give you the last two very quickly. Number one, you have to flee youthful lust. I'm gonna, when I start to see it, I'm going to run. I, when I see it, I'm going to run. For some of you, that means putting some accountability software on your computers. And uh, some of the ones that I like the best, uh, uh, they like Covenant Eyes uh, is really good. It will actually send a report to somebody else. Like it won't actually block the site, but it'll, tell, it, it'll send a report to somebody else to tell them every site you've been on and how long you were on there. And let me tell you, that gives you a lot of accountability. And, and that'll make you think twice before you click on something you shouldn't click on. But you need to run. You need to set it, you, you need to set, set it in your heart. I'm not going to fight this. And then I'm going to replace that with, by following God's desires. I'm going to chase his righteousness, his faith, charity, peace. Number three, you can't do this by yourself. You can't do this. You may have to do this by yourself in the short term, but we're not talking about short-term victory here. I'm talking about the freedom that you can experience for the rest of your life. And there are men who can give testimony. I'm sure there are men in our church who can give testimony on how God has freed them from this. But you can't do it by yourself. So notice what he says here again, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them. With them that call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. You need to find some brothers who are going to go do this battle with you. Ladies, you need to find some sisters who are going to fight this battle with you. You can't do this by your, you're not You're not designed. We, we, that's why we need the church. That's why we need each other. You're not supposed to be that strong. Yes, there are moments when you have to stand alone. But God doesn't want any of us to stand alone forever. We, God, God didn't call us to be lone rangers. None of you are an only child of God. Now, I love my only child, Elijah. But, but understand, I am, I am not an only child of God. You are not an only child of God. We need each other. Fellowship with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Purity is easiest with godly. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. Purity is not easy, especially in our culture. But understand, the culture that Timothy lived in wasn't a walk in the park either. Temple prostitution was culturally acceptable. 
In Greece, pedophilia was culturally acceptable. Our culture is heading that way. If you don't see it, you're not looking. You need to stand against it. We, we need to stand on righteousness, and we need, to, we need to protect our kids. But what's coming is incredibly wicked. I've read the end of the book. I know we win, and I know we get raptured out of here before it gets bad, but we don't know how bad it's going to get before we get raptured out. So we need to do this together, guys. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad communication is going to corrupt you, so you need to walk with the wise to be wise. Uh, Proverbs 9, it says Proverbs 96 there. If you can read it, that's a typo. There is no Proverbs 90. It's Proverbs 9, 6. Forsake the foolish and live. Go in the way of understanding. Proverbs 13, 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Chapter 27, verse 17. Iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. We need to sharpen each other in this area. You need to find somebody that you can be honest with about your struggles who's going to hold you accountable. Because if you don't, you will fall. Let he that thinketh that he stand take heed lest he fall. Uh, there's a, a famous pastor. I'm not going to list off a bunch of pastors' names, famous pastors' names. I mean, you guys know the list. But, but there's a, a famous pastor... Um, uh, named Gordon McDonald. He wrote a book a number of years ago, How to Divorce-Proof Your Marriage. How to Divorce-Proof Your Marriage. He didn't follow his own advice. He fell into sin. That's not to shame him or judge him. That's to warn us all that we need each other. We need to, this is a battle. You are, you are at war. We are, I'm not going to reread the statistics, but we are at war. And the church is losing because the church is not standing where the church needs to be standing and how the church needs to be standing. So this is especially critical, guys, in your marriage. And for those of you who are married, your assignment, your homework assignment is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. I'm not going to take the time to read those verses here this morning. Uh, your extended homework, your, um, your semester project <laughs> is Song of Solomon. Let me encourage you guys, read that together. You want to strengthen your marriage? It's not just about sex. It's about conflict resolution. It's about listening. And there's a lot about sex in there too. So you guys, married couples, I would encourage you, read that, read that together. Read that together. Spouses, you need, to, you need to help your partner. You need to serve your partner by being, when you are able, for those of you, now obviously there are some who because of health issues and other issues, um, they're not able, but you need to be sexually available, those of you who are, to helping them express their sexuality in a God-honoring way. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. That is not Pastor DJ's opinion. That is God's word. That is God's command. And we're not going to ignore it. Some of, some of you may think you're more modest than God, all right? But that's, wh that's what's gotten us in the problem that we're in. The church hasn't talked about this. The church needs to talk about this. You say, well, my... I don't want my kids to hear. Well, listen, your kids are hearing lots of stuff you don't want your kids to hear. So you need to let them hear what God says about it. Right. And lastly, number four, ultimately the focus has to be on Jesus. Let's not assume that. Let's remind ourselves, I got to stay focused on Jesus. Focus on the Lord. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 again, one last time. Flee also youthful lusts. Follow righteousness and faith, charity, peace. With them, fellowship, number four, that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Focus on the Lord, focus on a pure heart for the Lord. Purity is a heart issue 
before it is ever a physical issue. And listen, whatever is in your past, you can lay that at the foot of the cross. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want, you, I want to go to one more passage as we close. Hebrews chapter 12. I love this passage of Scripture. We just finished uh, Hebrews chapter 11, a, a, a quick uh, run through Hebrews chapter 11. Why don't you go to Hebrews chapter 12 with me? Wherefore, seeing as we also are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, all the men and women we talked about the last three weeks, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, which for men, almost all men, sexuality, sexual temptation, that is at the top of the list. So let us set it aside, lay it at the cross, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Jesus must be our focus. Let your sin here, leave it here. Make a commitment. You're going to flee some things. You're going to change some things. You're going to get some accountability software. You're going to, talk to, you're going to find somebody today that can help keep you accountable in this area, guys. Some of you need to disconnect from somebody that you've been flirting with online or in person. I'm not just talking to men now. In any of this, really, we've seen the statistics. This is a growing problem for women as well. And we need to get our eyes on Jesus. You have a race to run. You have a life that is to be lived as a pattern for others. Moses wasn't perfect. Abraham wasn't perfect in this area. But he still became an example because he trusted in God by faith. You can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. You can become a trophy of grace regardless of what's in your past. But you have to give your hands to the hands that made you. And you have to say, God, cleanse these hands. I can't clean these hands, but your blood has paid the price. And your resurrection has guaranteed the victory. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, this is such a critical subject in our culture today. God, I know, not by name, but I know by experience that there are men and women here who are struggling in this area who have chains that they carry around in this area, God, by your Spirit. Convict them and show them the freedom that they can experience because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. God, if there's somebody here, they're bound because they don't know you. They're bound. They're, maybe they're watching, Lord, and they, they're bound because they have never trusted in you for forgiveness. And this is all they, this is their God. This is all they know. God, may your spirit convict them to repent of their sin, to, to admit to you that they cannot clean themselves up, they can't save themselves, but they accept by faith the forgiveness that Jesus Christ and Christ alone have purchased by dying for all of our sins on the cross, by shedding his blood to pay for our sins, and by rising victorious from the grave. Father, if there's somebody here watching or somebody here in person, I pray that if they've never made that decision, that this is the day that they give their heart to you. And God, for those of us, your children, who struggle in this area, God, help us to believe by faith 
that we can be free because of the Spirit in us and the Christ before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close in a hymn? Some of you may need to come forward, make a decision. Some of you may just need to make a decision right, you're, right where you're at, wherever you're at in this issue. Some of you need to be a, make a commitment to be a help to others. You've experienced victory. You want to commit to helping others get the victory that you've experienced through Jesus Christ. That wraps up today's message. We hope this has made an impact on your life and encourages you to follow and reflect Jesus daily. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and would like to know how, join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30, Sunday nights at 7 o'clock, Wednesday nights at 6.45, or give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love to hear from you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.